Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 25 of the North Meet South web podcast. Well, my initial idea this morning was to give you all a scare by telling you that Taylor was no longer going to be doing Laravel because today, the day we are recording this, is April 1st. And this is a holiday celebrated all around the world as April Fool's Day. So we were going to say April Fool's, but Michael thought, hey, it might not have the same effect since this would not be releasing on April 1st. So Michael rained on my parade. Yeah, It was going to be so funny. Yeah, I know. I know. So I was going to make up something amazingly horrible, like Taylor not being able to do Laravel full time anymore. And I don't know, Matt Stauffer stepping in, something like that. But it's not meant to be. Not meant to be. Not not this time. Maybe maybe if we plan a bit better next year. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's go ahead and start out with kind of what we've been working on. I will tell you right off the bat that I have been working on work, my normal work stuff, which I've got a couple things to talk about with that, but also tons of house stuff. Oh, my word. We finally sold our house, by the way. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, so we... uh, the negotiating process is never a fun one, but and I'm terrible at it. I, I don't do well. Uh, there's some people who are really strong negotiators. My boss slash friend slash coworker happens to be one of them. He gets everything he wants always for, for anything. Like so, his car broke down, and then he convinced them to put a new engine in for free. <laughs> like just this is the sort of stuff he does, and I'm like, yeah. you know, could you replace that for five thousand dollars, and I'll pay that. Like right up front, right yeah. away, whatever. I'm just not good <laughs> at that stuff, you know? Yeah. So anyway, but we got the house sold, uh, fair price. And now we are just getting set to move into the new place. And so we've got three weeks to pack and get everything done. And then we're we're moving. So awesome. that's good. Yeah. So you're moving far from where you are currently? About five minutes, six minutes maybe. So nice. no, not far so at all. Closer to work or further away? A little bit further away. Um, it'll actually be probably... Maybe by like a minute or two. I mean, not much. Not much. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so it should be good. And still staying pretty close to everything else that's on the north side of town here. So we got all, cool. the, all the stuff really close and accessible, which is something I wasn't really willing to give up. There's cheaper housing, maybe a little bit further away. But it's like, you know, there's things that you just can't put like a value on, like how much time it takes you to get to work or how much time it takes you to run your kid to school and pick them up at the end of the day. Yeah. and. You think about that, like if you have to, uh, if you have to take your kid to school, I mean, if you take your kid to school, if they don't ride the bus or whatever. For my wife, it would have been like, if depending on where we had moved, if you if it's a fifteen minute drive or twenty minute drive in the morning, you know, based on traffic, that's there and back. That's forty minutes, and then there and back forty minutes again at the end of the day. So that's yeah, you know, eighty minutes a day that you're just stuck behind the steering wheel. That I mean, if yeah. you can keep that to like ten minutes with traffic or whatever, then you're saving quite a bit of time every single day. So those are things we were trying to think about just like, you know, not having to subject the rest of our children to tons of car time every day. So that should be good. That'll that'll get tiring as well, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been up to. I've been trying to work on a couple things. I've got a blog post that I'm supposed to be 
releasing sometime soon, basically uh, explaining with illustrations and words what I've already talked about on the podcast here with AWS Credentials. So mm-hmm. hopefully have that wrapping up soon here. I've got a pretty good draft. I've just been trying to come up with some illustrations for explaining what's in my head. And I'm having a hard time with that. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But uh, getting close there. How about you? What are you up to? Cool. Yeah, um, I've uh, been ticking along. I had a, I was doing a bit of work this week with uh, UUIDs. And so I put out a, a couple of packages, one to make it easy for folks to actually generate fresh UUIDs for their models in Eloquent. And then I also put out a complementary package to that for it's specifically for MySQL driver in Laravel. And that basically just sets your, rather than using a, a, a 36 character sort of char field in MySQL, it actually stores the UUID as binary, which is, which is supposed to be more efficient in terms of actually storing the UUID in the database and then querying against it and things like that. Unfortunately, because it's stored as binary, you can't sort of just look at it in the database. It's not, it's not yeah, useful. You know, it's not hard, alpha, right. alphanumeric. So, you know, if you pull up SQL Pro, you're not able to sort of do a select easily with it, which is the, the downside, I guess, if you just want to quickly pluck some information from the database. But in terms of, you know, storage and queries against that, you'll find that it scales a lot better. Um, you know, as as the number of records in your database starts to go up. So, um, yeah, those two packages went out to, you know, fairly quietly. Um, but I've had a few stars on them. So there's obviously some people out there sort of watching what I'm doing, I guess. I didn't realize that you had put out two of them. So, sorry, just to make sure I understand. There's one that just generates UUIDs and then there's another one that actually works with Eloquent. Is that what it is? So the one that generates UUIDs is essentially just a, an automatic trait that you include in your Eloquent models. And yes. all that does is hooks into the the saving event. And if the model UUID is not already set, it will generate one using the, the Ramsey UUID package, which Laravel ships with. And then it'll persist that to the database. So you did not realize it shipped with that. That's good to know. Yeah, it has for, I'm not, not sure how long. It didn't always, but it but it does now, maybe even as a dependency of something else. So that was package number one. The second package was around just hooking into the MySQL migration sort of blueprints and just overriding the default UUID. So instead of creating a char 36, and now if you use that package with MySQL, it will create a binary 16 field. Gotcha. So what is the logic behind using binary versus the char? So... There is a blog post that I always refer back to on the Pocona blog, which is they do a lot of work with uh, MySQL predominantly, I think, and you know opt- optimization and performance. So they, they basically have this blog post that talks about structure of UUID fields and running queries against strings versus running queries against binary data in the database. And they talk about using UUID as a string, making it harder to, to sort and search by. So essentially their recommendation is to never use UUID as your primary key. And that is basically just around, you know, just benchmarking, making sure that the number of, uh, sorry, the execution time of your queries doesn't sort of exponentially grow out of control the more records you have. Because if you're indexing on 
your, your primary key index is generally going to be one of the bigger ones because it has to be optimized in such a way that your queries are efficient. Um, you know, you can find things and sort things and whatnot. And in the and in the tests that they um, that they ran or the benchmarks that they ran, they found that it was the the, the table size was almost fifty percent bigger than using um, an ordered UUID using some probably overly complicated stuff, and about thirty percent bigger than using the UUID in combination with an integer. So. Um, yeah, it just comes down to efficiency, and I'll I'll link up the the blog post. Yeah, I'd be interested to read that in in the show notes. Yeah, so it's I mean it's it's a few years old now, but I think it's still fairly relevant. We're doing a lot more stuff now. Where we're exposing identifiers and things like that via APIs, so we're we're wanting to be able to obviously look things up by UUID, but sort of obfuscate the data, which is generally recommended practice, I guess with with your APIs, I say generally recommended. It was in Phil Sturgeon's build build APIs. You won't hate books. So yeah, just so somebody can't say like, oh, well, one works. Let's see if five thousand works. All right, let's see if ten thousand works. How many users do they have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, w- which is funny you say that because I mean that's that's usually the argument that comes up. You know, people can flick through and look at different things, and you know maybe the API is not authenticated properly, so they can look at one or two, or look at th- records that don't belong to their authenticated user and things like that. Maybe, but one way you, we used to combat that at a at a job I was at previously was when we when we rolled out the new sign up system, we basically started the order increment at like one hundred and forty thousand. So that doesn't make it confusing for anybody. Who knows how many how many customers we had? Yeah, exactly. No, but you'd have to know where to start. So yeah, but yeah, that's and, funny. So you know, it was, and and one of the guys that I work with, he's he's very pro on optimization, and he, I mean, he one of his first jobs was being a DBA, so he's fairly conscious around you know storing things in the right format in the database and efficiently querying it and things like that. So yeah, it's good to have somebody like that on hand who knows that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Because if they don't, you can get yourself into a, a heap of trouble pretty quick. So would you almost suggest having a having like still keeping your ID column on your table and then having a secondary yeah. UUID yeah, 100%. column? So the UUID yeah. is more so for cool. public stuff, you know, using it for yeah. APIs and, and URLs and things like that. You would find your records by UUID, but, you know, you'd still do all of your eloquent joins and relationships and things like that using the, the primary ID key. And as I said, cool. yeah, that's purely for efficiency and speed in, in querying. And then you don't, you know, you know that, the UUID is a random string of 36 characters, right? So it's hard to sort that. You don't necessarily know. I mean, the first part of it is significant because it's timestamp, the first part of the UUID, but it, it just becomes trickier to query and sort. So using an ID, you know, if you just want to see which record was inserted first and say you didn't have a timestamp, you could, you know, order by that ID key and you would know roughly that that was the order that things were inserted in. Oh, that's a good idea. That makes sense. Yeah. Very cool. You had mentioned also you have been working on some WordPress stuff. And I will say I have also been working on a couple of WordPress things and my hate for WordPress has just continued to grow. (laughs) I just, it's, uh, I like, I'm kind of at this crossroads where it's like, I love WordPress because it makes it easy for me to give administration of the site over to somebody Mm -hmm. else. But I hate WordPress because it's so like limited. Like I can't. Yeah. I feel like I can't do custom stuff real easily. Yeah. Like I'm just kind of limited to this box that I'm stuck in. If I want to do something outside of that box, it's just like, well, tough luck. Yeah. 
you're you're screwed. You've kind of committed to this <laughs> and you're you're stuck with it now. So I think what it's probably coming down to is I probably just need to come I I, I need to fully commit to it and take the time to actually learn it well enough so I'm not just a monkey at a keyboard. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I can make this work, but I don't know it well enough to really do a whole lot. Yeah, and I, I suppose there's a trade-off you have to make. You know, how how much are you going to use WordPress and how much time are you going to invest in learning to do things? Because surprisingly enough, getting custom post types and things like that configured and using plugins, I used one on a on a project about a year ago called Advanced Custom Fields, which is which are actually written by an Australian I've heard of it, chap. yeah. Oh, of course it is. And, you know, that that makes it very easy for you to get up and running with your own custom kind of data. But even some of the stuff that one of my colleagues was working on recently, and I reckon I could probably link the, the site up in the show notes, was for the Australian Science TV channel. And we did a lot of, or he did, sorry, I say we, we as a company, he did a lot of the work around custom post types and, and basically bringing in a lot of stuff that is not sort of WordPress core, but doing it within the constraints of WordPress. So, you know, it's not where Laravel gives you the tools to do things very easily. You obviously remember the, the learning curve you had with, with Laravel. And I don't think WordPress is terribly different in that regard. It's just, it's got a lot of history and, and baggage and not nice code in the background, but you can get things up and running pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. True. Yeah, so you, you so you're working on building a building a website for someone you said. Yes, yes, and really, honestly, most of the stuff I don't need a ton of custom post types. I'm just I'm speaking about. I guess some of it is more like design ish. Like it's hard. Like the templates are yeah. annoying to me. They're not particularly nice. Yeah, and it, I suppose it depends on how much the person you're you're building the site has to spend. Generally. I do a bit of WordPress site for um, a mate of mine and usually the only stuff that I'll do for him is using Elegant Themes as Divi, um, which yeah. is, I think you've used it before. I think we may have spoken about it on the show, but it's it's basically a drop-in uh, theme. I don't know if we've spoken about it on the show, but we have. I have used you it. You and I have bit, spoken yeah. about it, yeah. So, you know, it comes with a theme builder. It's all point and click. They've Elegant Themes has spent a lot of time and effort getting this thing to a point where you know, anyone can log in and build really a pretty good looking website based on, you know, predefined layouts or even just the visual editor that they've built on top of it now. So in terms of building a front end in WordPress, that's usually the only way I go about it. But I'm exploring some other things. Getting getting Blade to work in it was an interesting experience for, for Sam at work. So. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like not too much yeah, fun. Yeah, because... As you say, it's a bit of a black box and, and WordPress kind of makes assumptions about how you're going to do things and sort of it's very opinionated in in a lot of ways that are not necessarily clear cut. But at the end of the day, it's it's ubiquitous. It's easy to get up and running and so many people know how to use it just yeah. because it's so simple and because Automatic have spent so much time building you know the ui and the admin area and all of that just so that anyone can use it basically so it's the trade-offs that you make yeah if you ever need to hand it off to another developer as well yeah. there's a bajillion wordpress That's developers right. out yeah. there so and look it sits there and it does its thing i installed this other project that i had this week was around monitoring um wordpress sites so we're building a, a dashboard to monitor wordpress sites that shows 
for any given site what version of WordPress is running and what what plugins are installed and what versions those plugins are at. And then we can look at whether those plugins are up to date. So that was what I spent two or three days working on this week. But I inst- I purposely installed a previous release of WordPress. So I think we're at, it's at 4.7.3 currently. I installed 4.7.2. And by the time I had pinged that install to see what version was running so that I could, you know, build out the dashboard. WordPress had already updated itself to 4.7.3. So wow. It's it's pretty good as long as you don't disable the automatic updating stuff. It just you yeah. know gets on its way and and you know looks after itself for the most part for all of those security releases at least. That's pretty cool. I did not realize it did that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a problem for a while where it was just like, you know, people are getting hacked all over the place because it wasn't auto updating or anything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it won't go from like between minor releases, so I won't go 4.7 to 4.8 on its own, but any patch releases that come out, it, it updates itself pretty quickly. Nice, nice. Speaking of upgrading, uh, we spent a little bit of time this work this week uh, and the last week getting a couple of our applications up to 5.4. Um, so we try and keep most of our stuff on the latest releases, and so we, you know, now that 5.4 is out, we've been upgrading some of our stuff. So one of our biggest applications that we've written we upgraded the 5.4 before we did that we had this was one of the ones that was developed i don't know maybe we started it on 4. something so there was some stuff that was not done with really testing in mind and things like that so before we upgraded to 5.4 we wrote a whole bunch of tests for php unit basically just confirming critical path stuff that needed to be done or tested you know just making sure that um when you hit a route, it worked, and and these are like the these are the ten critical things that it needs to be able to do. Let's test mm-hmm. those and make sure those all work. So we did that. We upgraded to five four, and then or actually we upgraded to five two. And then what we did was we snapped a branch for five four, wrote Dusk tests for a lot of the mm-hmm. JavaScript interaction stuff. Nice. Uh, so we wrote uh, our Dusk tests using five dot four, and then what we were doing is refactoring all of the jQuery stuff that we had written over to Vue. So it was. Ooh, man, tedious. <laughs> jQuery and Vue are not, you know, really compatible. I mean, yeah, you can check to make sure that they're accomplishing the same thing, but it's a complete, it's, you know, it's hard to get one-to-one parity with those things because yeah, they're just sure. such different beasts. So, you know, some of the things that we wrote in jQuery, we probably would have written quite a bit differently or even implemented a different sort of pattern had we been writing them in Vue. Yeah. So... It's difficult kind of trying to go backwards saying like, okay, here's what it currently does and then try and write view to make it do that again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a challenge. It has been a challenge, but uh, we're getting there. So slowly but surely. Yeah. How have you been finding working with Dusk? Um, actually, to be honest with you, I haven't been the one that's been working with it. My junior developer has been doing all of the Dusk tests. Okay. I kind of said, here's uh, what we need to do. Go for it. And he's been... He's been wrestling with that quite a bit. So it seems to be pretty good, though. And actually, I think there was a either a Twitter or something that Muhammad put out the other day, or it's in the documentation now as well, mm-hmm. for how to get your dusk tests to run on Travis. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple of pull requests yeah. come through to the docs for that. That's cool. Yeah. So there's that now, which is pretty interesting. So that means our tests are going to take like 10 minutes to run now. Yeah. Because... Yeah, our dust tests alone on a local machine take about two minutes to run. Yeah. And then, and, and there's really not a whole lot you can do about that. There's just a lot of functionality we wanted to validate, and it takes a while. Yeah. So, 
but yeah, at least you've got the test is. there and you can can validate Correct. it so that's that's good yeah yeah pro- project one of the freelance projects that i'm on they came to me with a with a bit of a bug which was just around an assumption an assumption that i made that i that i checked with them i said you know is this going to be the case they said yes whenever that that action is carried out the record is deleted from the database so in order to prevent that action from being duplicated i just checked to see if there was a record in the database and i don't know for whatever reason their processing of that action wasn't wasn't removing that record from the database so then of course my check was providing false information saying you know this this thing is pending when it when it wasn't so a lot of it was rushed together and a lot of it was really tricky. It was hard to write tests because this was an existing application that they've had for you know months and years, years, I guess. And so I, I didn't have any migrations. Laravel made it really easy to slap models over the top of the existing database. And you know that, that part was really easy. But in terms of migrations, I've, I've, I had model factories so I can sort of generate test data, but... I had to use basically a copy of their live database and, and use the database transactions trait. And then I ran into issues where some of their databases, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but InnoDB supports transactions. My ISAM does not. And this database, this database had a mix of InnoDB and my ISAM database at, of, sorry, InnoDB and my ISAM tables. And they were, they were, you know, there were records were linked together but because some of them were not not in ODB when the transactions were rolled back, because the support wasn't there, I'd, I'd end up with you know these these orphan records. So oh that made gosh, testing interesting. Horrible. So a lot of this was kind of I hope Adam doesn't listen to this, but a lot of it, a lot of it was flying by the the edge of my seat kind of thing. Just writing the code, testing it in the browser manually, going that does what it needs to do, ship it. Yep. So now, I mean, most of it's been fairly steady. I think Laravel has saved me in a lot of lot of aspects. Every now and then, I will get either a report from Sentry for something that I didn't account for, or you know, I, I'll get an email from them saying, "Oh, it doesn't do this," and I'm like, well, "Your data is kind of wrong." So then, you know, I've got to go back and I'll write in that case a failing test and then you know make it green. So not necessarily how I would have liked to have done it, but yeah. There are some tests. Yeah, exactly. Some tests are definitely better than none. Mm. It's nice to just have those like sort of sanity checks in place. And I mean, man alive. I, I mean, on a project that if like that, sometimes if it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends on the complexity. I mean, ideally, you'd always write, be able to write tests, but sometimes you don't. And that's just reality. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, for me, TDD is, is I like TDD. It's... I'm still getting to the point though where it is literally my default for everything. Yeah. It's I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. But I'm not not all the way there yet. There is still some some there are still some things for me where if I'm just doing crud, I'm literally here's a form, I'm posting, I do the validation, that kind of stuff that is really just reading stuff out and putting stuff into the database without any real sort of business or domain logic and there's no you know, there's nothing sort of fancy about it or there's nothing tricky about it. Honestly, yeah. I, I don't bother because, you know, if any of that stuff isn't working, it's probably upstream. But once you start, you know, getting into custom methods and running logic that needs to be done in a certain order or, you know, there's a lot of, 
validation that goes around it outside of sort of the the standard validation rules and you need to verify that then that that's when i start digging and that's where as i said with with these cases as they've come up i've i've written the test and made sure that those pass i, I may be in the minority but sometimes i just yeah don't worry about it <laughs> yeah yeah i've been trying to more and more as much as i can to write my tests to kind of drive it out as adam has done kind of in some of his talks where you basically say like okay I'm going to post to this location and mm -hmm. these are the fields that I'm going to post through. And when I do that, I expect that I get this. Yeah. And you run the test and it says, um, there is no view there. There's a, that's a 404. Oh, okay. Let me define a route for that. All right. There is no controller method there. That's still not, you know, there's still no, yeah. there's no controller. Okay. I'll make the controller. There's no model. Okay. I'll make the model. Uh, I'm calling a custom method on that model. There, that method's not there yet. Okay. I'll make that method. So it's just it, what it basically has helped me to do is to try and focus on like one thing at a time and be yep. like, okay, that's what needs to be done next. That's what needs to be done next. That's what needs to be done next. Instead of being like, okay. It certainly puts you in the mindset. Yeah. It's like, I know I have these hundred things to do and I'm kind of frantically running around a little bit trying to get like, you know, I'm over here, then I'm over there, then I'm back over here again. Yeah. As, I, as I think about it, as I remember. So I was reading on Twitter the other day, somebody said something like, know it's they've been convinced that oh man i'm gonna I, I wish i had the tweet in front of me <laughs> that it's more about what you have to keep in your head or basically directing your workflow keeping you focused on like that one specific task yeah so i don't know i see both sides of the argument and but i don't i definitely get what you're saying though like it's like there's no point in testing that the laravel stuff works i mean laravel is tested yeah you know what I mean? You don't need to yep. test that when you did say model create, it works. Yeah. It works. It's going to every time. Yeah. Especially it's a very small throwaway. Like if you've got two or three endpoints, no, I'm not going to bother. Having said that, and, and as you said, you know, making sure that, you know, the route's there and then the controller method is there and then the view is there and all that stuff. As much as I say that the, the CRUD stuff you don't need to test, what you're saying and what Adam has been saying for quite a while it, it puts you in that mindset it makes you drive out code that you wish would exist even jeffrey says it a lot as well that you know write the write the code that you wish was there and even if you are only testing the the basic maybe i should maybe i should just test the basic crud stuff just to get myself into the mindset to write the test because that that then means that i've got the practice in doing the simple stuff so when i have to start getting into complicated territory it's already in my head i don't have to sit and think how should i how should i go about this yeah it helps me just to stay focused on what which thing it is or else i'm like at the beginning i'm like okay i know i need a controller php artisan make controller or i also know i need a model and a migration php artisan make model you know whatever my model name is dash m for migration okay now uh let's see i need views okay i'm gonna put together some of those views all right where you know I have to worry right now about, okay, where's the view? Like, which one do I need to be extending? Now yeah. it's like, oh, CSS, I'm going to jump over and do some styling. And like, by that point, I've got all the stuff that's not even been fleshed out yet that's sitting out there in my repository that's not been committed. So I've got a controller out there that I haven't done anything with, a yeah. model, a migration I haven't done anything with. Now I'm screwing around with styles. Yeah, It's just like, my, am I, you know, I know what I need eventually. And so I can just kind of start scaffolding it out. But then it's like I get lost in the mix of like, okay, well, where am I at right now? Like, do I need to work on validation next? Where, you know, what's what's yeah. my 
checklist. And so it's like, I just kind of like throw it all up and like throw it out there. And then like, you know, it's kind of like slowly pare it down. Or I start with the test and then it says, hey, you need a route. Okay, I'm going to make the route right now. Next, you need a controller. Okay, I'm going to make the controller and I'm going to make the method. Perfect. All right, well, now in my controller, I need to actually write the code to make it work. Now you don't have a model. Okay, I'm going to create the model and yeah. the migration, run the migration. So it just kind of helps me to stay on track for like, these are the things I need to do. And it's not really like the tests are, the, the, I guess the, the, the nice thing is, is number one, the tests are really easy to write. Yeah. You know, thankfully, Laravel makes it extremely, extremely easy to write these things. So, I mean, I'm saying like the, the tests that I'm writing and all of the stuff that I'm doing is probably a 10 line test. Yeah. You know, it takes no time to make. And the really nice thing is too, is I don't have to go press refresh in the browser to make sure that the, the thing is working or keep filling out the form and pressing yeah. submit to make sure that the validation works or whatever. So yeah, I feel like, you know, sometimes when the testing stuff is most powerful is when you were, are working on some of that really easy stuff. That's a mis yeah. speak. I'm misspeaking there. It's not the most valuable when you're working on easy stuff, but it's certainly well, it's helpful. Not, as I said, case. it gets you it gets you in the mindset for when the harder stuff comes along that you just pick it up and do it. Rather than yep. rather than being overcome with sort of frustration that, that it's all all difficult and you've got to try and figure out how to test what you're trying to interpret business rules or whatever. I you know what? Maybe I should just do it. Maybe I should Maybe I should just start doing this testing and it'll make everything better. Yeah, I think if you start with some of this easy stuff, you'll be surprised yeah. with how nice it is. I was going to say one thing that Adam put out the other day uh, that was helpful, which will definitely make it into the framework at some point, was like a what it does is instead of now, by, so what how it works by default with Laravel is if you're saying in a test, this post and then you give it the route that you're posting to and then the array of data that you're sending through for mm -hmm. your post and then you say assert response 200 or something like that mm -hmm. and let's say that you say assert response 200 and there's no route there it's going to say failed asserting that a two that a 404 was a 200 yeah because laravel is going to return a 404 to you because your route is not available well that that in and of itself isn't extremely helpful because that 404 i mean like uh, you know, you and I know that that means not found. So you could probably deduce that that means that the route is not there. Yeah. However, it would be more helpful if it said, you know, there's no route defined yep. or something like that. Well, the way that Laravel handles that is it will automatically, the framework will turn that error that, you know, the fact that the route is not found into a exception and render it as a HTTP not found. And then it will tell you it's a 404. Yeah. So what you can do is instead of having Laravel render that exception out, you can in your handler.php, you can have it actually mm. rethrow that exception. Exactly. Yeah. And so the way that Adam has it is he said, more often than not, I'm actually more interested in the exception that it's going to throw yeah. than the response that I'm going to get back. So he switched it and said, basically, by default, throw the exception. And if you want to test the actual response, then you say like, with HTTP response or something like that yeah. on your test. And that will allow you to actually test what's coming back. Yeah, there is a there is a balance, I think, with that in that as someone someone that is new to the framework, someone that is new to testing is writing the test, doing the right thing, right? Yeah. And then they get they just get this wall of exception text. And yeah. The, uh, yes. 
I think because it used to throw the exception and then it was changed in like 5-1, 5-2 maybe to, yeah, you know, to give you right. the less helpful thing and you now we're going back the other way. I like the exception, but as long as, you know, as, as long as people know what why they're getting this wall of text and they can scroll. And it, I mean, it doesn't take, you know, the first time it happens or the second time it happens, all you got to do is scroll and you'll see the useful exception message. But, but I agree. I, I use that. Adam tweeted about it. It's in his course, I think, the disabled exception handling thing. And I, I use that all the time. I pull that into, you know, whatever I'm working on when I am working with tests. Um, and I, I generally will use that as a debug thing, you know, just to say, well, you know, I, I got that 404, but, you know, sometimes the, the error message that, that you get back that, that is rendered by PHP unit just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think something can be done about it. I don't know. I'm glad it's not me that has to make the decision, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it'll get rolled in eventually where uh, maybe or maybe it'll be a setting or a preference that you turn on in your in your root in your uh, base test case or whatever. Yeah. You know, where you can say, you know how or Laravel had it for a while, like URL or something. You had to set that in the test case to yeah. localhost, whatever. Yeah. Uh, maybe they'll have something in there that says like render exceptions or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. Um. While I remember, I wrote it down, going back to your, your make model and then you do a dash M. Did you know that when you make model, you can do dash C and it will also generate a controller for you? I did, actually. Somebody pointed that out to me on Twitter. I posted a while ago. I said, hey, this dash M is the best thing ever. And somebody said, actually, dash M dash C is the best thing ever because it'll do both for you. Yeah. So. Yeah, I found that out. Somebody, uh, somebody pointed that out to me, which is pretty cool. And yeah. I actually, I don't, I still don't know if I've used that yet. The dash yeah. M dash C. I think I forget about it every time I need it. Yeah. And, then, and plus, it's like it's not too often that you know you usually kind of only get to use that when you're working on new projects because it's, you know, yeah. not too often you need to generate a model, a migration, and a controller yeah. unless you're working on a brand new project. Exactly. And then even dash R. Did you know about dash R? Uh, for resource? Yeah. For controller resource? You know everything. Why am I yes. telling you? Maybe our listeners don't know. Maybe someone, someone oh, sure now has learned know. something. Yeah. yeah so we like talked when you about, do... P- we talked about this. Just because yeah. you know and I know doesn't, doesn't mean that someone else out there doesn't know. That's correct. That is correct. Well, hey, man, I think I might have to cut this one a little bit short, actually. Uh, sure. I have kids waking up. You may or may not be able to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I, I did hear a little, little uh, voice got, in the background. Yeah, I've got three of them. I, the wife is out of town this weekend, uh, having fun with some friends in Chicago. So ah, very I nice. am uh, taking care of the little ones. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening today to the North Meet South Web podcast. This is episode 25, so you can find show notes for this episode at North Meet South audio slash 25. If you like the episode, please feel free to rate it up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is always very much appreciated. And if you have any questions for future episodes, feel free to reach out to Michael or myself on our personal Twitter accounts or at North South Audio. Great time talking to you, Michael. I have got to run and give these kids some breakfast. They're starving. You too, mate. Get, him, get, get some Vegemite right, into sounds them. Sounds good, man. Yeah, Vegemite, there we go. All right, buddy, take it easy. Take it easy, bye. Hi. How are you? Good. Good.
<laughs> Do you like Michael's Australian accent? Can you tell he's from somewhere else? Do you want me to speak yeah. some more? Does he talk funny? Do you know where he lives? They have kangaroos and dingoes. <laughs> Dingo babies. <laughs> uh, so I see you later, Michael. No, you don't want to no. say bye. 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 All right, I'm going to...